0: John 19, 28 through 29. Oh, by the way, my eye is doing a lot better. Um, Had an eye infection, um, ulcers on the eye real bad. Um, The doc says what I have believed all along, which was we should be looking at a full recovery without any permanent loss of vision or anything like that. There will be a scar on my cornea probably, but he thinks it's going to be outside my field of vision, and so it shouldn't be a problem. Um, And it could have gone the total other way. (laughs) He's like, Plenty of people completely lose vision in their eye with stuff like this forever. Yeah, yeah, if you could throw that up. So praise God for that. Yeah. I'm super pumped. <laughs> um, vision is is retur- Vision is returning. It's still cloudy, so I don't like to drive long distances and stuff. Um, and it's still real sensitive to light and whatnot. But, I mean, it's, it doesn't hurt nearly as much, and it's a lot better than it was. So praise God, and thank you so much for all your prayers, everybody. Um, speaking of pain... John 19, let's start with verse 28. So Jesus is on the cross. Everything else has happened. He's been tried, abused, beaten, crown of thorns, smashed on his head, whipped 39 times. He had to carry the cross to the place where he was going to be crucified. He couldn't do it. He collapsed, possibly passed out. We don't know. And so they grabbed a guy from Cyrene, which means he was African, and he carried the cross the rest of the way. For Jesus and then they hoisted him up and they're about to finish that verse 28 after this Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture I thirst a jar of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth and when he did receive the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and so he takes a drink Because he's got to say his final words and he can't get it out because he's got blood and cuts and half-severed tongue. Who knows at this point how horrible it is. But he needs to get his last word out that people can hear. And so he takes some sour wine, which is vinegar. Ouch. And he drinks some of that so that he can speak his final words. And I think these are probably the absolute final words Jesus said. All the gospels list things that Jesus said at the end. This is probably the very last thing he said, because John was right there at the foot of the cross um, with Mary. Um, Remember earlier, Jesus looked down to his mother, Mary and said, behold, your son pointing to John and to John he said, behold, your mother. And so they're right there at the foot of the cross. And the the other disciples are kind of scattered around based on their level of fear at that moment. And, not that I'm judging, judging them. them. I don't know where I would have been. But uh, um, I love that w- that he says that to John and to Mary because it sh- it, and it's another touching moment of Jesus' humanity. But also, uh, at the very end, he's thinking about mom and who's going to take care of mom and who's going to take care of the family. Because he's the firstborn son, Joseph's dead. He's in charge of the family. He didn't start his ministry until he was 30. What did he do all the time before that? He was taking care of his family. Joseph died probably when Jesus was a teenager. So he was a carpenter, full-time, double-time, to take care of his mom and at least six kids below him. So he's dad now to them. He's the breadwinner for that entire family. And that's what he did his whole life, up until 30, when he started doing his ministry. And so he spent 30 years taking care of his family and three years doing ministry. Which do you think is more important for us to do? The 30-year thing. Taking care of our family is the most important thing in our life. Right? That's what Jesus spent almost his entire life doing. Nine out of every 10 years that Jesus lived, he spent taking care of his family. And he's our example. By the way he lived, that's how we're supposed to live. So that's what we need to be doing. I'm not saying quit your job right now, you know, and spend more time with your family, but... Yeah, um, I'm not saying that's the worst thing in the world either to think about because, you know, for guys sometimes especially, career can sometimes get in the way of stuff, right? That's kind of a natural tendency for us guys. Um, for all of us, other things sometimes get in the way of family. Sometimes it can even be ministry or other wonderful things like that. But at the end of the day, Jesus spent most of his time taking care of his family. And it's not like that was wasted. That's what God chose to do with his almost his entire life was to take care of his family. That concept gave me a lot of uh, hope and encouragement when I was a stay-at-home dad for several years. I was like, okay, I'm in good company. Jesus is a cool guy. So he says that to John, and and then we see this part, and he says, it is finished. So what is finished? What is he talking about? What was finished? What did Jesus come on earth to do? He's talking about his ultimate mission here. Jesus' mission in life was to do something, and now on the cross, the second before he dies, he says, It's finished. I did it. It's done. I completed it. So what was it? What was his mission? I'm going to read a bunch of verses for you. John 1.29, this is John the Baptist saying of Jesus, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So that's his mission. Luke 19.10, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. First Timothy 1:15: Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. All these verses say pretty much the same thing, right? Uh, First John three five. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and so all the Gospels, the Epistles, they all agree. Jesus came to save us specifically by paying for our sins. And that mission, Jesus declares, it is finished. Now, the word he uses there is tetelestai. It's a Greek word, so that's one word. We say it is finished, three words. He said one word, tetelestai. Tetelestai is a very common Greek word, and I'm probably not pronouncing it right because I wasn't around 2,000 years ago when they spoke Greek to know how they sounded. But tetelestai is a very common term. It's found in documents, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Specifically, it's found in business contracts. It's a business term. It's not a religious term. It's a business term. And you find at the very end of a contract, usually right at the bottom, it will be scribbled to that, at the bottom of a contract, a completed contract, because the word means it is finished. We do the kind of the same thing today. We usually say paid in full, right? That's a, that's a common thing to say at the end of a contract, paid in full. It is finished is the way they said it. They said to that. So Jesus is on the cross, and this is what he says right before he dies. He says, paid it full. The contract is done. Because remember, Jesus is setting up a new covenant. A covenant is a special type of contract. It's a contract between humanity and God. There was an old covenant, and now Jesus is setting up a new covenant, a better covenant. And now at the end of that covenant, Jesus says, Tetelestai, it is finished. The covenant is complete. It's ratified. This has been paid in full. Because in order for the covenant to be sealed, we had to reconcile the fact that God was holy and we were not. And we have all these sins, and that was a major problem. Uh, Did somebody have a question? Nope, okay. Um, So using Jesus' metaphor here, you and I have literally been bought and paid for, in a sense, through that covenant. And he said, it is finished. So it's done. The covenant's done. We can enter into that covenant or not. But the covenant itself is complete. Jesus paid the price. The the account is complete. Um, Paid in full to tell us that. That's what it means. And that's what he said at the end. So he finished his mission. He finished the new covenant. He paid all the penalty. Now, Most of us know that Jesus paid for our sins. That's kind of a Sunday school lesson, right? Jesus paid for all our sins. But sometimes we don't live as if our debt has been paid in full. Sometimes we live like we're still slaving away to try to pay it off. Sometimes we live like we're still trying to pay for our sins, pay God back, earn his love, something there's, there's this, this thing in us that it, it's difficult for us to accept <laughs> the fact that this is a free gift, that the contract is done. It's finished. We don't have to pay our, for our sins anymore because Jesus is already dead. But it's sometimes hard for us to live that way. And most of us know this in our head, but in our daily life, in the way we live Um, sometimes we act as if we don't believe our sins were paid in full. We think of ourselves as unworthy, as disqualified somehow from doing maybe important things in the kingdom of God or something like that. Um, Oftentimes it affects our relationship with God. We're hesitant to draw near to the Lord because we feel dirty and unworthy and that kind of stuff. And that's when the the, the enemy comes in, right? And he says... Who are you to come before the Lord? You know how terrible you are. You you know what you said to so-and-so? That was so terrible. You know what you thought about this person? You know what you did? You know what you've done? Who are you to come before the holy God? No, no. And so the the devil tries to convince us that we can't come before the Lord because we're not worthy. But that's not true because Jesus already paid for all of that. It's already done. It's past tense, way past tense, 2,000 years past tense, okay? But we sometimes live as if sin separates us from God. Have you heard that phrase, sin separates us from God? That's, for many people, that's another Sunday school phrase. In reality, when you're talking about Christians, okay, I'm talking about Christians, to say that sin separates us from God is heresy. Five minutes in, I dropped the H-bomb. Make a note. It's heresy to say of a Christian that sin separates us from God because it is finished already. There is no more separation. And let me say a little more about that because some of us were taught that sin separates us from God right now today. And if I sin today, separate it from God. And it's not true. It's heresy. It's completely counter to everything that the gospel says. And if you talk to people who say that, they'll agree with you on all those things, but they still say since it separates from God. They still feel that way, but it's not true. And it's important that we get this down because it is a really big deal. And it, one of the biggest things that affects our relationship with God, I think. So Isaiah 59.2 says this, Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities, sins, failures, shortcomings, mistakes, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So that's the old covenant, okay? In the old covenant, your sins separated you from God. He hides his face from you. It's so that he can't even hear you because of your sin. And that's not because God's like a prude or something. It's because God is holy and we're not. So it's like two magnets. I, I meant to bring my magnets but um, if you got magnets, if, if you hold them the wrong way, they won't touch. They can't come together, right? It's not a matter of desire. It's they can't. God wants to be with us. He created us to have that relationship. It was broken by sin. And now because God is holy and we were not... We couldn't come together with him. It wasn't possible. And that's why God made a way in the new covenant for that to become possible. Okay? But in the old covenant, sin separated us from God. Couldn't get together. The easiest way to see this is to look at the tabernacle or the temple. If you've ever studied that and the way they laid out the tabernacle and the temple, it was separation. It was all about separation. It was separation after separation after separation. So you got the outer courts, you got the inner courts, separate by walls, right? Then you have the holy place, a whole other building, separate. Within that, you have the most holy place or the holy of holies, whole other building, separate. Within the holy of holies, you got a veil cutting the room in half, keeping the presence of God on one side of the veil and the rest of the room on the other side. And so you have separation after separation after separation after separation in the old covenant to display to us visually that god is holy he is separate he is different than us and that that's a problem and that is what the old covenant was and then that happened the cross the cross set up a new covenant and when this happened when jesus died on the cross it changed everything it changed all of creation honestly Jesus took all of our sin and the punishment for all of that sin on himself, on the cross. All the sins of everybody, all the sins you'll ever commit in your life, were paid for 2,000 years ago by Jesus on the cross. And he set up that new covenant that we can enter into, and he made a way for everybody to be able to enter into that new covenant. Some choose not to, and that's very sad. We wished everybody would want to join that covenant, but some people don't, and that's 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 very sad. But we can, and God gives us the grace to be able to do that. I'm not saying it's a choice, like, mm, yes, I think I'll join the new covenant and become part of God's family. It's not really all our choice because we can't make that choice without God's grace. God gives us the grace to be able to choose to join the new covenant, to receive Jesus Christ, to accept the payment for sin that he made for us, to accept him as our savior. God gives us the grace to be able to do that in the first place. But a covenant can't be made between unwilling partners. That's not what a covenant is. Those covenants don't exist. Covenants are made between two willing partners. You sign things. You promise things. There's a blood sacrifice, and at the end, it says it is finished. That's how a covenant was made in the old world, and that's what Jesus is doing here, himself being that sacrifice, of course, and himself saying, I will fulfill all of the requirements on my side, and I will also fulfill all of the requirements on your side. And then at the end of the covenant, he says, it is finished. And so what this did was it changed everything. It made a way for the new covenant to supersede the old. And so the separation ended at that point for anyone who's in the new covenant. For anyone who is in Christ, that separation no longer exists. Right after Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Remember that? So God God ripped that sucker in half saying, hey, the presence of God is now available. We can get there now. There's no separation any longer between those of us who are in Christ and God himself because of what Jesus did. Not because of ourselves. It's not about our worthiness. It's not about us choosing God, therefore we become worthy. It's us choosing God. We die. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what baptism is. We, all, we were unworthy, and that unworthy guy died. And then the new Nate was brought to life in Jesus Christ. And it's his worthiness that makes me worthy and that makes it so that there isn't any separation any longer between me and God or between you and God. And so the situation is no longer that because God is holy, we can't approach him and that there's a separation between us and him. That's gone. It's done away with in the new covenant. For those under the old covenant still, that's still true. Okay? And so anyone who hasn't come into Christ... still has no option other than the Old Covenant. They're not part of the New Covenant yet if they don't join it, right? And so anyone under under the Old Covenant, people who are not saved, in other words, people who are not Christian, sin still separates them from God. That separation absolutely still exists for them because God is holy and they are not. But when we enter into the New Covenant, when we get saved, we are placed in Christ. And so now his worthiness, his righteousness gets attributed to us, and that's how we're in. God flips the magnet. At the cross, at the cross, the, the two magnets that couldn't go together, God flips them and says, you can become in Christ, and that will make a way for you to be able to be connected with God, and God's magnet is super strong, it's not going to let go. Everybody with me so far? This can be a little bit confusing, because we're talking about two different things, and they're both in the Bible. So you'd be like, well, but the Bible says this. The Bible does say a lot of things, but a lot of the things in the Old Covenant are no longer true. We can eat bacon now. (laughs) Praise Jesus. One of my favorite things about the New Covenant is pork. Um, It's up there. It's on the list for sure. Um, Oh, it is. And so I think God was looking forward to it too, uh, for sure. And so that's, that's part of the discernment process we need to use when we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. I'm not saying don't read the Old Testament. It's great. It's wonderful. It's the beginning of our introduction to God. But Jesus is the fullness of our introduction to God. The very being of God in human form. Everything God is, Jesus was. And so that's what we look at. We try to figure out the final picture of who God is. In the Old Testament, we get like a bunch of snapshots, Polaroids, of who God is. And then we get the full 3D in living color, Jesus in our midst to see and get to know who God really is. So, old covenant. God is holy. We're not a separation there that can't be breached. Jesus makes a new covenant, and now because we are in Christ, because he paid for all our sins, and he paid for all that penalty, if we accept that payment, we get flipped. We get placed in Christ. So now that separation no longer exists. There is no separation anymore between you and God. Ephesians. I know that there is therefore now no no separation. Nothing in all creation, neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things past, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Certainly not your sin. Because your sin was already taken care of on the cross. There's this weird theology out there that says, when we screw up, we need to get right with God, or else it's bad. Um, Repentance is important, yes, but we don't need to get right with God. We're already right with God. We're righteous. We're in Christ. You can't get any more right than that. We are fully righteous. When we sin, we repent. Repent means to turn, to change your mind, okay? We repent, we say, oh, that no, I'm sorry, And we move on. But we're already forgiven. The sin is already paid for. When we sin, it doesn't mess up our connection with God. It can't. We're adopted children. Our sin doesn't unadopt us. Okay? Think, Think about it this way. If your sin could change that dynamic, then the cross didn't succeed. Because if today I sin and that messes up and now I'm separated with God again, that means my sin trumps Hate that I can't use that word. My sin defeats what Jesus did on the cross. And that's not true. The whole point of the cross is Jesus defeated sin. And so my sin can't re-defeat the cross. I don't need to be recovered in the blood or get right with God or whatever it is people say. No, 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 no. I am already right with God. All of my sins are already covered. Everything is already paid for. So when I screw up, I just repent. Keep walking in my forgiveness. That's it, Steve. Uh huh. It seems it seems to me um, like it'll go one of two ways. Either God will review everything we've ever done, and at the end, He'll say but you are in Christ, so none of that matters. Enter into my rest. Or what I think is actually going to happen is he'll open up the book and there's there's no sins written about us. None. Because they've already been cleansed. They've been washed clean. The punishment has already been made. So they can't reappear. The Bible says God forgets our sins as far as the East is from the West, which is something only God can do. Only he can choose to forget something. It would be nice sometimes if we could do that, but we can't. But he chooses to forget our sins. Our sins are cleansed. We're placed in Christ. And so when God opens that book of judgment, someone in the old covenant is going to have a bad day, <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of stuff, and it's going to be sad and unfortunate. But for us, it's going to open up, and it's going to say, in Christ. And all the other stuff isn't there because it's already gone. You've got to think fourth dimensionally for some of this. Um, because what happened happened 2,000 years ago, but it affects everything in the future as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, so, the answer is in, in that passage, Paul could be talking about people who aren't Christian, and those people are not going to enter into the kingdom of God. So, don't deceive yourselves, because the idea of universalism existed even back then. If Jesus paid for the sins of everybody, then he paid for the sins of everybody. And actually, that's true. He did pay for the sins of everybody, but it's not credited to us as righteousness until we receive Christ. That's what it says in Romans. The sad thing is, for those who aren't saved, their debt has been paid too, but they don't get to cash that check. For Christians, yes, we can still sin, but that doesn't it doesn't keep us out of the kingdom of God. So that's either not... It's talking about non-Christians or when it refers to the kingdom of God, kingdom of God doesn't refer to heaven necessarily either. It's, you know, you know, the difference, like Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come to you now. The kingdom of God is also later, but it's also now. That was your old life. You're in Christ now. <laughs> 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 In that case, we can't enter into the life of the kingdom of God. Not heaven, the life of the kingdom of God. Here's, here's a very important distinction. Here's a very important distinction. Um, in, in English, we use the word relationship to mean a lot of different things, right? The word relationship covers everything. It covers how I'm related to that lady and that man because they're my biological parents, and that is a relationship, but I also have a relationship with my wife, and that is a very different thing. I have a relationship with Julie back here, with Kathy, with Sophia. Those all mean different things, but we use the same word, okay? So we are related to God because of the cross. We're related to God by blood, in a sense, because he adopted us as his kids, and so we are related to God just as I'm related to them, just as Ann and Joel are related to their kids because of that adoption. So we are related to God, and that is permanent, fixed. That's not going to change regardless of our sin. Okay? So we are saved. That's our, how we are related to God. But the kind of relationship that we have with God in terms of fellowship with God does, is affected by how we act and how we behave. And so our sin does affect our fellowship with God, but it doesn't affect how we are related to him because he doesn't unadopt us. Does that make a little sense? And so what I'm talking about right now is the new covenant, which is the adoption contract. That our sins are paid for, and we are now adopted into God's family. We are related to him now. We are the brother of Jesus now, the son or daughter of God now, okay? But our fellowship with God, our life, our life in the spirit, our experience is all affected by, by our sins, negatively affected. There are consequences for our sins. Not eternal ones in that sense, because we are related to God and that's fixed. But in terms of our fellowship, it does break our fellowship with God when we sin. But there's a difference between those two, okay? And so when we sin and when we mess up, we do need to repent, absolutely. We can't just go on and do whatever we want, okay? That's, um, there are several verses about that, but you can't just go on and, and keep on sinning. You can't just go on and do whatever you want. Steve.
1: I said, Dick, how do you handle this? He goes, well, I'll tell
0: you what. I got six oh, and eight kids. He said, I love them all, and I only like five of them. And he, and he
1: said, the, 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 they'll come in and out of that party. so right now it's, uh, you know, Jesse and Ben are driving me nuts. I love them, but I don't like those <laughs> And then, and that's how <coughs> I was feeling.
0: That it, nowhere near to that ex- degree because God's love for us and his affection for us doesn't change based on what we do. It's um, so, so that it's not the same as that. Um, but what it does is it affects our ability to walk in his will and to do what it is he wants for us. And so we're not fulfilling what it is God wants us to fulfill when we're not walking in his will and when we're sinning. And cause, so he doesn't have the, uh, I'm so disappointed. Because w- when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He can't see it. No, no. it's, it does, it's that's, that's right in here. When he, when he looks at us, he's not disappointed because he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see it. When, we, when you see your kids, you see what they're doing wrong. You see how they're screwing up and that affects you and it affects your relationship. Of course it does. When God sees us, he does not see our sin. He can't see it. We cry out to God and we say, God, I'm so unworthy and I'm so terrible. And he says, what are you talking about? You're talking about something that I forgot. I buried it in the deepest ocean. I separated it from my own self as far as the east is from the west. I Killed my own son to pay for it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember it. You are in Christ now. God literally doesn't see your sin. But he told Peter, Peter said, i again. He goes, You've been washed. You only need to do your feet. You know? yep. take care of today's sins. Not, it's not take care of today's sins. It's a, that's a little bit about repentance, the need for repentance, I think. But it doesn't mean it undoes the cross. It means you do need to repent of your sins when you you do things wrong. And then that's all you have to do. But also, when he did that with Peter, that was like pre cross. You know, that was um, Last Supper. Mike just asked, would it be fair to say that, no, we don't need to, quote, get right with God, but our unforgiveness can block God's ability to answer our prayers? For sure. That's exactly right. So, our, our actions are you saying lack of or lack of repentance? Both. If I choose
1: to withhold forgiveness to somebody, right. I physically tie God's hands to bless me in, another, in an area in my life I might be crying out to. And he's like, yep. I want to do this so bad. But you have limited my ability
0: to do this because you're unwilling to forgive. I mean, yep. he talks about that. Absolutely. That and so. So what it is, is it doesn't break the relationship. It breaks our ability to walk in the things of God. It, it, it breaks our ability to experience the kingdom of God. It breaks our ability to experience his blessings, his favor, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our life, okay? And there are several things that the Bible specifically says does that. Holding unforgiveness is one. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, I will not forgive you. Your forgiveness is held up in heaven until you do that living in sin it says specifically and that verse is sort of tied to that as well living in sin unrepentant sin blocks those things of god it doesn't separate the relationship you're not unadopted okay that's secure that happened but it stops heaven from coming down to you another another one he doesn't see the sin in that sense but your action gets you out of alignment with what god is If I want to get the most out of the AC in the summer, i got to stand over here and be in the right place to have that AC banging on the back of my head. If I'm way over here, the AC is still going. That doesn't stop. God doesn't stop. God doesn't change. That doesn't stop. But if I'm over here, I'm not in the right place to receive that nice air conditioning on the back of my head. And so I need to turn. I need to repent. I need to realign myself properly in order to get the most out of that AC. In order to get God's blessings, God's favor, all of which God's already given, that's already done on the cross, it's already ours. We don't earn God's blessings, we don't earn God's favor, it's already 100% ours. But we have to line ourselves up properly by not living in sin, by forgiving people and not harboring unforgiveness. Another one that the Bible specifically mentions is being inconsiderate with your spouse. If you are inconsiderate with your spouse, it will hinder your prayers. God will not hear your prayers if you're inconsiderate with your spouse. Write in the book. Inconsiderate, that's a really high bar. It doesn't say if you're a total jerk. If you're a total jerk to your spouse, God won't hear your prayers. No, no, no. If you're even inconsiderate in living with your spouse, it will hinder your prayers. No, he's, he's still not seeing the sin. It's just it's, it, it creates uh, an incompatibility for you to receive. It doesn't affect the relationship. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's true. Some of it, some of it is semantics. It can, I mean, again, we use the word relationship to cover everything. So it's, it's. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, I used to struggle with it every week. Yep. Going, oh, it's back to the cross
1: again. It's back to the cross. When do I get to live this abundant life? Well, I think we've got ourselves saddled like we need to be recrucifying Christ every week, which is not yeah. mm-hmm. true. And exactly. God.
0: To or and others. so, so, so it's, it's, it's right. It's it's not that he doesn't see it in the sense that he's unaware of it. It's that when he sees, it's a perspective issue. We look at things from our perspective, and our perspective is still corrupted because we haven't yet fully walked into the mind of Christ that we were given. When we allow ourselves to be renewed in our minds, we start to see things from God's perspective. And from his perspective, he doesn't see all your sin when he looks at you. From his perspective, he sees that you are growing in holiness and that you are becoming righteous and that you are becoming generous. He doesn't look at you and say, you stingy Christian. He looks at you and say, I'm going to help you become more generous. Okay, I guess this, the yes, he sees the potential, but he doesn't love the potential. He loves you now. He doesn't love you because of your potential. He doesn't accept you and adopt you because of your potential. He accepts you and adopts you in the middle of that stinking pig pen. Right? Paul. This is great stuff, by the way.
1: make a decision to walk in darkness. When we walk in darkness, we are in the enemy's camp. We are Christians, we are saved, we are going to heaven. But if we walk in darkness, that's his realm. Jesus said that's the realm of the enemy. And so if I choose to snarl at my children or my wife and live uh, a, a disobedient way. I will have the fruit of that, which will be walking in darkness, Which will include whatever darkness brings. It will bring shame. It will bring conviction. It will bring discouragement.
0: Condemnation. Until I
1: come back in the light where I get fellowship and forgiveness. I will
0: not know forgiveness in the darkness. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where repentance comes in. The forgiveness has already been paid for. The sin has already been paid for. I I look at it this way. This is maybe a bad analogy, but, you know, bank accounts, we all probably have one, Right. (coughs) You go to the bank, you make a withdrawal. The money's yours. It exists in the bank. But if I go at midnight tonight and knock on the door, they're not going to give me my money. I don't have access to it. The bank's closed. God, when Jesus died on the cross, he put a deposit in your forgiveness account. All the forgiveness you would ever need. It's already there in your account. We need to make withdrawals in order to appropriate that forgiveness to us. And that's called repentance. Repentance is a withdrawal. You fill out the receipt, I change my mind. I turn, I messed up, I'm sorry. We repent, we hand them, we get the forgiveness. It's already ours, but we do need to repent to receive it, okay? But there are things that can close the bank and make the bank unavailable to us no matter what time of day it is. And that includes Matthew 18, harboring unforgiveness. If we do not forgive our brother or sister from our heart, forgiveness is closed off to us. The bank is closed, okay? And that's a problem it's a huge, huge problem to have the bank closed. It's still there. It's still in the account. But we are going to live unforgiven until we forgive that person. And an unforgiven life is going to lead into darkness. And and in Matthew 18, it says he then hands them over to the torturers. (laughs) That's bad. Exactly. And I, the sermon I didn't preach a few weeks ago because we were sharing with each other is this exact thing. So I'll do it sometime after Easter. Um, but, but that's what it is. So the forgiveness is there for us, but we can't access it if we don't forgive. The bank's closed, and that's a real problem. And so this is serious stuff. God cares very much how we live among one another. He cares very much that we forgive one another. He cares very much that husbands and wives live in considerate lives to each other. Because if you're not considerate, God won't hear your prayers. Oh my goodness that is huge. If that doesn't sober you up to your core right now, (laughs) then you may have let your heart grow hard. (laughs) That's a very sobering thought, okay? So your relationship with God in the sense of how you are related to him is that you are his adopted child because of the cross, and that doesn't change. The love doesn't go away. None of that stops no matter what. When we sin, it doesn't break that. We don't need to reapply the blood. The blood's ours. We don't need to do that stuff. It's already ours. There is no separation between us and Christ Jesus any longer because of what Jesus did on the cross. But we do still make mistakes. And so we need to repent. We need to turn back when we do that. And then the forgiveness is there, and we keep walking. And I'm going to leave you with this clumsy visual. Did that, and we just circled the drain around this thing. I am so terrible. I am so unworthy. Oh, I I can't even look at God. I I am so unworthy. I can't handle it. And that's old covenant thinking. That is not right. That is not true. Okay? The worthiness was already dealt with. But we allow ourselves to get sidetracked when we screw up. Instead of walking, we stumble, we say, wow, that was dumb. And we turn back to the Lord. Anything that happens in your life that leads you to less relationship with God is not of God. And the devil uses our own mistakes, our tricks, and our failures to say you can't get close enough. You're unworthy now. Back away. Deal with yourself. Get better. Once you get this issue under control, then maybe you can take a couple baby steps more towards God. All lies. Because that happened for us, because the New Testament happened. Jesus said, It is finished, it's done. That mistake was paid for, it's all finished. So we trip and we say, That was dumb. We repent, we turn back, we walk in our forgiveness, and we keep getting closer to Jesus. I'm not saying we forget about that. We can learn lessons. Why did I make that mistake? What led to that? Was I you know distracted? Was I really tired? Was I being selfish? Something happened that led to that. That's good to do, to make self-evaluation. But we don't beat ourselves up. We don't live in shame. and We don't wallow and circle the drain around those mistakes we make of go down the unworthiness cycle. Because none of that is true. We're worthy now because of that. Okay, let's pray. We're way over time. Father God, we thank you for sending your son. We cannot possibly thank you enough for doing that for us. Even though we understand it so little, We thank you for what you did. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that because of what you did for us, you were able to adopt us into your family. We thank you that the new covenant is finished. It's paid in full. That you paid in full a way for us to come back to God. And that we are secure now in him. We thank you that you placed us in Christ. That you placed your spirit in us and that we are tied to you in an unbreakable way. And so help us, Lord, to remember that and to respond to it in humility and say, Lord, help me not to stumble quite as much, but to keep pressing on towards you. Let me not, Lord, fall into cheap grace that says, oh, I'm forgiven, so I can do whatever I want. I can just be selfish. I can just do whatever I want. Keep us from that, Lord, I beg. Keep us humble enough to not fall into that lie that we can just live however we want. No, you paid a terrible price to pay for our sins. We will not shame that. We will not live in such a way that makes the cross some kind of joke. We will live in such a way that honors what it is that you did for us, Lord Jesus. And help us to live in such a way that you you have now made us worthy to follow you. You've made us worthy to draw near. We are worthy now of all those things. Our sins don't weigh us down anymore. They don't hold us back anymore from drawing closer to you. Nothing is holding me back from you, redeemer of my soul. Nothing can hold me back from you. Your love will never let me go. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Help us to walk in that truth more and more. Give us a greater revelation in our heart of what it means to be forgiven and to live a life of grace. It is finished. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.